0: wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God one last time and turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy, the book of 2 Timothy and chapter number 4, the book of 2 Timothy and chapter number 4. We are on our last message of our series of the pastoral epistles. And remember that the pastoral epistles are unique in that they are not written to a church, But they're written to individuals who are acting in the office of a pastor. And because they are in the office of a pastor, Paul is giving them special instructions to them. So that way they can pastor the church effectively and efficiently. To be working with those people. Of course, as we come to the book of 2 Timothy, this is Paul's goodbye letter. And you can sense it even more in this passage here. That Paul knows he's got a few more days left. Could you imagine what you would be thinking or feeling knowing that you are in murderer's row? Knowing that you are going to the executioner in a short amount of time. Imagine being able to think about it. They've already prepared the chopping block. It's outside the window and you can hear it. You can look at it. You know it's there what would you think of? How would you prepare yourself? Well, of course, the apostle Paul is writing to his son of the faith, Timothy, to give him one last teaching, one last reminder, so Timothy could continue. And now he comes to the end of the letter, and you could almost sense the tears that are dropping from Paul's face as he's giving... Timothy the reminder of course just previously to this he explained the sufficiency of Scripture that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable and then he told Timothy preach the word be instant in season out of season reprove rebuke exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine but now he comes to the conclusion And with this, look with me, if you don't mind, in your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy in chapter number 4. The book of 2 Timothy and chapter number 4. Notice with me as we pick it up in verse number 6. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at the day. And not only, or not to me only, but to all them also that love is appearing. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed into Thessalonica. Christians to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with me, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Antiochus I have sent to Ephesus. The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee. And the books, but especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Of whom be thou ware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. At my at fir- <coughs> at my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be known, and that all the Gentiles might hear. I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work, and will preserve me Unto his heavenly kingdom. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute Priscilla and Aquila. And the household of Anesiphorus. Erastus abode in Corinth. But Tromus I have left at Miletum sick. Do thy diligence to come before winter. Eubulus greeteth thee. And Purdens and Linus... And Claudia, and all the brethren, the Lord Jesus Christ be with thy spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. And if you have a habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of 2 Timothy and chapter number 4? The book of 2 Timothy, chapter number 4, and notice with me in verse number 7 notice the phrase in the middle I have finished my course. I have finished my course. And with this, as the Apostle Paul is wrapping up this letter and wrapping up his ministry, he ends it with this idea here. I have finished my course. I have finished my course. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we approach this powerful, emotional, moving passage of Scripture, that you would just let us be there with the Apostle Paul. Let us use our divine imaginations to see what he's going through, to feel his heart and to see what kind of state is he in, knowing that in a few short days he is going to be going to die. I'm asking, Lord, that we would see the importance of finishing our course. And not just finishing our course, but finishing right. Lord, we love you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we approach this passage here, this is a personal plea from the Apostle Paul. And so we're going to understand this from his point of view. And see what he is saying to his son in the faith, Timothy, as Paul is giving his reflections, his last words words. The very first thing that we see here is I am ready to be offered. I am ready to be offered. Notice if you don't mind, again in verse number six, for I am now ready to be offered. Now when he's talking about being ready to be offered, he said, I gave my life to God. And if God chooses to allow me to die, it's his business because I gave my life to him. It's God's life. He, I gave myself as an offering. For example, we have these offering plates. You know, instead of giving money, Paul jumped in the plate. He stood in the plate and said, God, I'm yours. Whatever you see fit. And if you see fit to allow me to die, I'm ready to be offered. I'm ready to be given to you however you see fit. Here we have someone who's, who's at the end of his life. And he says, I'm ready. Whatever God wants to do. If he wants to kill me, that's his business. This is a man that's trusting and surrendering God for everything. At the end of his life, he's not panicking. He's not biting his tail nails. He's not worried. He says, whatever God wants, I'm trusting. I'm trusting. Notice, if you don't mind, it goes on. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. He, he has no illusions that his time is up, my time of my departure, I'm leaving this world, my, my, got my ticket, I'm ready to get out of here, it's at hand, any time now. Now notice in verse 7, he has three statements here that he talks about. And what he's speaking about here is that he is ready for the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ is the last judgment for a Christian. During the judgment seat of Christ, every Christian is going to be evaluated for what they did in their life. Did they do it for the Lord? And see the consequences of all of their actions, both good and bad. The judgment seat is something we are all going to face. Think about standing before God and giving an account. Since you've been a Christian, have you lived like a Christian? Since you've been a Christian, have you been obedient? Since you've been a Christian, have you loved the Lord? Well, the Apostle Paul says, I'm ready. I'm ready to go to the judgment seat. I'm ready to stand before my God. Can you imagine being ready to stand before God at the judgment seat and say, I'm not worried about it. I've been obedient to the Lord. I've been faithful. In fact, notice these statements in verse number seven. There's three statements here. Notice this I have fought a good fight. This idea literally carries the idea he engaged in combat, the idea of building and battling. You cannot have a victory without the battle. He said, I fought a good fight. I've engaged in conflict. I've been building and I've been battling. And I've been winning for the Lord. I have fought. The good fight. I've been doing what I'm supposed to, and when I stand before God, I'm expecting Him to say, Well, won. Well, won. You won the fight. But that's not the only statement. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. This idea of course means that He finished the race course. Do you understand that you are not in competition with another Christian? You are in competition with your own opportunities and your own abilities. Every person has a different race to run. You have your course to run, and it is based off of your opportunities and your abilities. Are you taking advantage of them? Are you running your race? Are you running your race, or are you looking to see how everyone else is doing? You know, the Christian life is a lot of mind your own business. If you try to take care of everyone else's business, your own uh, lawn... Needs cut. Needs tended to. Mind your own business. Run your own race. But for the apostle Paul, he says, I ran the race that God want me to win or to run. And I'm looking forward to him saying, well, run. He said, I fought a good fight, and I'm expecting when I stand before God, he says, well, won. I run the race that God wanted me to run, and I'm expecting him to say, well, run. But notice this, he has one more. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Paul continued to trust the Lord for everything through the trials He continued to look to Jesus. He continued to depend upon faith. And he says, I'm ready to stand before God and hear him say, well done. Well done. Well won. Well run. Well done. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. You know, it is amazing to see the last words Of people who lived. To see them when they're standing. At death's door. And to see how they respond. You know there is something. About a faithful Christian when they die. There is nothing like it. To stand before them. And to see them as they go and pass. And go see their Lord and Savior. There is nothing like a faithful Christian. Who dies. Oh but there's something to. A sinner who knows. They're not right with God. And to watch them die. Queen Elizabeth was the queen of the British Empire when the sun never set on the British Empire. She was called the Virgin Queen and she was one of England's longest ruling monarchs and one of the most beloved queens. But she was so afraid of death that when she was on her last days, She was afraid to go to sleep because she didn't want to die. So what they did is they propped her up and put pillows around her so she would always be standing. And one of her last statements is, All my kingdom for one more day. All my kingdom for one more day. I'm not ready to die. I haven't run my course. I need one more day, just one more day. It is amazing to look and see how people, when there comes time to meet their Lord and Savior, how they respond. As for the Apostle Paul, he says, I'm ready to meet Jesus. I fought the fight that I was supposed to fight. I ran the course that I was supposed to run. I kept the faith that I was supposed to trust in God with. And I'm ready. Oh, I'm ready to meet Jesus. May I ask you, are you ready? Have you accomplished what God has given you to do on this world? Do you even know there is a good and perfect and acceptable will for you? Have you been fighting the fight that God's given you? Have you been running the course? Have you been trusting God in the faith that he has given you? Have you been living for the Lord? Are you ready to meet your Lord now? Would he say, well done, my good and faithful servant? Will he say, well fought, well run, well done? For the apostle Paul, he had confidence. How much confidence did he have? Well, notice with me in verse number eight. Henceforth, so because of this, because I'm ready, I have fought the fight, I have run the course, I have kept the faith, henceforth there is laid up for me A crown of righteousness, which the Lord, that the righteous judge, shall give me in that day. What day is he talking about? The day of judgment. That day, the day I stand before Christ at the judgment seat of Christ. And not to me only, but also to all them that love is appearing. The Apostle Paul says, I'm confident. I'm going to meet the Lord and he's going to give me a crown of righteousness. Now we understand the Bible explains that there's five different crowns that we could earn, that we could win in the Christian life. The Apostle Paul says, I know I got this one. I can't wait till Jesus himself gives me this reward and says, well done. You've earned this. This is proof. That you loved me here on this earth. And by the way, that's what the crowns are. They're the proof that we loved God in this life. A physical representation of our love for God. We loved him so much, we obeyed him. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Someone who does not keep the commandments doesn't honestly love the Lord. Because love always produces action. I love God so much I obeyed him. I love God so much I did what he asked me to do. I love God so much I paid attention. I love God so much I couldn't wait to see what he was going to do. And the Bible says that we could get that crown. How? It's for all those that love him. How do we know that we love him? I fought the fight. I ran my course. I kept the faith. I kept looking at Jesus. He was the goal. I loved him and I ran after him. I did what he said. I ran the course that he gave me to do. And I'm looking forward to him saying, well done. And giving me this crown as a proof that I loved him. How do you get that crown, by the way? Do you know the Christian life is impossible to live? That's why God gives us the Holy Spirit. And you let the Holy Spirit change you from the inside out. You let the Holy Spirit lead you and guide you. You let the Holy Spirit do the work and you just set yourself as an instrument, as a vessel. And let God do his own work. And that's what Paul did. How do we know that? Because the Bible says that we're going to take those crowns and we're going to cast it at Jesus' feet and say, Nope, I couldn't do anything. It was all you in the whole first place. What a wonderful God that we have. But let me tell you that you will stand before God and give an account at the end of your life. As for Paul, knowing that he is going to take a shortcut to glory soon. He says, I'm ready. I'm ready to face God. I'm ready to stand at the judgment seat. I am ready to be offered. He continues on with this. That not only am I ready to be offered. But he also says, those around me have made their choice. Those around me have chosen a side. And he begins to go through a list of people here that have chosen one side or the other. Notice if you don't mind as he goes through this list. He talks about in verse 9 that Timothy, do your diligence to come to me shortly. So the first person we see is Timothy. Paul is begging his son and you'll see it several times in here. Timothy I need you to come here. Timothy, put off what you're doing. Due diligence, get to me quickly. I only have a short time left. I need you here, Timothy, because you encourage me. You're my faithful son. I want you to be there. I know I could still depend upon you. So Timothy is there. One last time, Paul wanted to see Timothy. We come to the next man, the man called Demas. Verse number 10, for Demas had forsaken me, having loved this present world. And has departed into Thessalonica. What has happened is that Demas was a faithful worker. You'll see him mentioned in other, uh, other New Testament books as a fellow laborer with, God, or with Paul. What happened to Demas? Did he get false doctrine? No. What happened is that he saw the Apostle Paul get arrested. He saw that Christianity is now outlawed. And he said, you know what? I don't want to die. I don't want any of that. So he quit. He quit. He went home and said, I'm not serving God anymore because it's too hard. It's too hard. I'm not going to do this. Do you understand? The Christian life is not easy. Here's Timothy who was faithful. Paul who said, I'm ready to stand before God. But there are some people that says it's too hard. I'm not going to do it anymore. Demas had forsaken me, loving this present world. And that's the problem. You have to choose which world you're going to live for. You're going to live for the next world or live for this world. Demas made his choice. I want to live for this world. I want this life to be cushy. I'm not worried about 1,000 years. That's a long time. You have to choose which life you're going to live. If you're going to be able to stand before God and say, I, fought, I finished my course. I kept the faith. I fought a good fight. I'm expecting to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Because you're faithful. You have to choose the other life, not this life. You have to give up this life for the next one. Demas couldn't do it. He loved this present world too much. We see another person mentioned Cretius to Dalmatia or to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. So we have Cretius and Titus. Who are these? These are faithful laborers. We've already covered Titus. And what they're doing is they're not with Paul because Paul sent them out to go work. You know what happens? When a Christian, um, a great Christian of the faith dies, the work still has to go on. It still has to go on. The work should not stop because a famous Christian dies. The work has to go on. And so Paul says, hey, Titus isn't with me right now because he's working. And he's where he's supposed to be. But he's made his choice. He's still serving God. He's still moving forward. We see some more people mention. Verse number 11. Only Luke is with me. He says, right now I'm in my cell. And Dr. Luke is the only one that stayed with me. Praise the Lord for Dr. Luke. Do you know that Dr. Luke wasn't a preacher? He was a lay person who did his best to encourage his preacher. And when the preacher's standing all by himself in prison, Dr. Luke is there. Dr. Luke is helping him. Of course, Dr. Luke is probably taking care of Paul's back. Remember, Paul had awful back. You know, a lot of people forget the description of Paul, that he has such powerful words. But when you look at him, you go, what in the world? People said that he was kind of hunchback because of all the beatings. He was balding. They said that his eyes were bugged out and popped out. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul preaching? He was nothing to look at. But his words were powerful. But Dr. Luke says, preacher, whatever you need, I'm with you. Dr. Luke didn't quit. He chose to stay with Paul. Notice, if you don't mind, we see the list go on. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee. For he is profitable to be for the ministry. Hey, Timothy, on your way here, you may keep. Cap- You pick John Mark up, and you bring him here. Who's John Mark, by the way? John Mark went with Paul in his first missionary journey, and John Mark quit. He said, this is too hard. This is too much. I quit. And he went home to Mama. But while he was home, he got right. Started serving in the church. Found Peter, and Peter discipled him and loved on him. Can you imagine one day when someone pulls a parchment in front of Paul and says, Paul, you need to read this. What is this? Man, this is great. This is wonderful. Who wrote this? Mark, the gospel record of Mark. You know, the gospel record of Mark was written by a quitter, by a backslider who got right. And now there was one time where Paul said, he had a big fight with a with, uh, Barnabas, and said, I'm not taking the quitter with me. There's no way I'm taking that quitter with me. A big fight. They almost went to blows over John Mark. But now, Paul's changed his mind. He says, you know what? There was something in that boy after all. He's following the Lord that's wonderful. Bring him with me. He's profitable to me. John Mark didn't quit. Not second time. He stayed with it. And he chose to follow God. Praise the Lord for that. Notice, if you don't mind, in verse number 12, we see another person. In Tiochus, I have sent to Ephesus. Now, remember, the, uh, Timothy is the pastor of the church of Ephesus. And he's like, in order for me to go see you, someone's got to take the work. Paul says, I already got it handled. Tyochus is coming. He's going to take the work. You get to me now. Tiochus didn't quit. He's going to go take over for Timothy. So Timothy could get to him. Praise the Lord that they're not leaving the church um, alone they have someone who's going to oversee the work so Timothy can go. Praise the Lord that Paul's still thinking of the church. We come to another man, verse number 13. The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus. Here's the next guy, Carpus. When thou comest, bring with thee. Carpus was some guy who Paul can trust. Paul's in prison, but he says, "You know what? Winter's coming. You go to Carpus, keep my cloak." Back then, the cloaks were very important because they would keep you from the elements. Remember, they didn't necessarily have central heating or air conditioning, any of the luxuries that we have here. And he's down in the dungeon. He says, man, I need that cloak. If I'm going to survive in here in this dungeon, I'm going to need the cloak. So you swing by. I trusted him with my stuff. What other stuff did he have? And when thou comest, bring with thee that that cloak... Notice this, and the books, but especially the parchments. Now, don't under-read this. Some people will go past this and blow this. But where is Paul? He's in prison. And you know what he wants? He wants to read his Bible again. He knows he's going to die. He wants to read the Bible. I want the books. I want the parchments. You bring them in. Paul wanted to spend his last days reading the books and reading the Bible. Think about this. Spurgeon said this. Paul was an inspired apostle. Yet he wanted his books. He had been preaching for 30 years. Yet he wanted his books. He had seen the Lord. And yet he wanted his books. He had been caught up to the third heaven. Yet He wanted his books. He had heard things untranslatable, yet he wanted his books. He had written a major part of the New Testament, yet he wanted his books. Bring me the books! How's your reading, by the way? Bring me the books! I want the books. I want to spend my last days knowing God more. This is the Apostle Paul, 14 books of the New Testament. And he says, I want my Bible. I want to read the books. I want to study some more. Bring me the books. I know I only got a few more days to live. And you know what I want? I want my books. How's your reading? How's your study? How's your preparation face God? Bring me the books, Paul says. Bring me the books. Notice as we go on. Now we come to verse number 14. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Now remember, Alexander the coppersmith, who had been mentioned before in 1 Timothy. Alexander the coppersmith... That is the person that Paul delivered him to Satan that he would learn not to blaspheme. This had happened several years before. Alexander the coppersmith not only was put on church discipline with the purpose that church discipline is always for the purpose of restoration, but Alexander the coppersmith's heart grew harder and he hurt Paul. Some people believe that Alexander the coppersmith went to Nero himself and began to tell lies to Nero, the Roman emperor, about Paul to help justify Nero's arrest of Paul. Could you imagine that? Someone going up to the president of the United States and telling lies about you so that way you'd be executed. How would you like a guy like that? Alexander the coppersmith, he chose a side, and it wasn't Paul's side. He did him much harm. And he's still on the run, verse 14. Of whom be thou? So Timothy, be aware also, for he greatly withstood our words. We try to open up the Bible, we try to defend, and he didn't take it. And guess what? His home is Ephesus. He's part of your church, and he's coming back for you. That's always good for a pastor to know that you got a wolf coming and he's coming for blood. Timothy, you got to be, watch out for this guy. He's going to do you some harm. He hurt me. Now he's coming for you. Here's Alexander the coppersmith. Remember, the Christian life is not not an easy thing. But notice Paul's attitude in verse number 16. (coughs) In fact, we see these people listed here. We see that Paul says, I'm ready to be offered. And he says, my friends and my companions, they chose a side. Those around me chose a side. But here's an encouraging thing. The Lord stood with me. The Lord stood with me. Notice in verse 16, notice his attitude. At my first answer, no man stood with me. So when Paul first was arrested, no one was with him. No one stood with him. No one's, I don't know, Paul. I don't know what you're talking about. He was abandoned by everyone. No men stood with him, but all men forsook me. I pray to God that it may not be laid to their charge. Here's Paul. Everyone abandoned him. Everyone quit. No one was with him. And he says, you know what, God, forgive him. Paul didn't die bitter. He says, forgive him. He's going back to to Stephen. You remember how Paul got saved? It started before the road to Damascus. It started with the first martyr, a deacon of a church, by the name of Stephen. And Stephen, because he preached the word and they couldn't answer him, they pulled him outside and they stoned him to death. And as he's being stoned, as he's being killed, as he's being murdered after an illegal trial, he's still looking up and says, God, forgive them. Paul watched that. In fact, Paul's testimony in Acts 23, he says, I never got over that. You want to know how I came to know the Lord? That guy who was dying said, God still forgive them. You understand if Stephen didn't pray that prayer, Paul wouldn't have gotten saved. Think about that. Paul says, I remember that. He taught me how to die well. I'm not dying with any bitterness. Forgive them all, Lord. I want them all to get saved. I want them all to get right. How's your bitterness? How's your bitterness? Paul says, I don't have any bitterness. Alexander the coppersmith did me wrong. I'm going to let God reward him. But as for me, I forgive him. I forgive him. Alexander the coppersmith's the reason why he's going to be executed. God forgive him. Don't lay it on his charge. Let him get right. Notwithstanding, now verse 16, all men forsook him, but notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. Paul says, no man stood with me, but I wasn't alone. God was with me every step of the way. When I stood before trial, God was with me. When I'm in the jail by myself with no lights, God is with me. When I'm chained up, God is with me. God stood with me the whole time. What a wonderful thing. That God can put his presence. And you know, because God stood with him. Notice what Paul said. Verse 17. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. And because the Lord stood with me, he strengthened me. He strengthened me. Where did Paul get his strength? Was it because he was just that good of a guy? No, it was because the presence of God is with him. If you know the presence of God is with you, you could stand anything. God was with me. I knew God was with me. He said, because God was with me, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known. Not only did the Lord uh, strengthen him, the Lord's presence empowered him so he could preach the gospel. That's what God's presence does. It could strengthen you and empower you. That even when he's dying, he's still witnessing can you imagine what a dilemma Satan had dealing with Paul? What do you do with Paul? What do you mean by that? Well, if you keep Paul alive and out of prison, he's going to go start more churches and more people are going to saved. can't do that. I can't keep him alive and in prison because he witnesses to all the guards. Can't do that. If I kill Paul, he goes to heaven. Satan's kind of stuck with what to do with Paul. He says, God's with me. God strengthens me. He empowers me. He's using me to still. While I'm in prison, I'm still telling people about the Lord. How's your witnessing? How's your witnessing? Are you ready to face God? Are you ready to stand before God? You know, it's easy to stand before God when God's been standing with you all these years. Have you been trying to be as right with God as possible? That's the secret to the Christian life is that you can't live the Christian life. You have to have God do it for you. You have to surrender and allow God to strengthen you and allow God to empower you so that way the gospel could go out to the Gentiles so they could go out. It's not you, it is God. And you just have to surrender your life and say, it's not my life, it's yours, you do whatever you want, I'm ready to be offered. Paul says, I'm I'm ready to face God. No bitterness. I've done what God's asked me to do. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. How ready to go is he, by the way? Verse number 18. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work. He says, I'm not worried about this. In fact, go back to verse 17, if you don't mind. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by the preaching might be fully known and that the Gentiles might hear. And as I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. What mouth of the lion? Well, remember, Paul had stood before Nero several years ago in the false trial before Nero went crazy. But then Paul went to stand before Nero again, and this time he's gone crazy. He's already murdered his mother. He's murdered his wife. He murdered someone else to get their wife and then got tired of that wife and killed her. This is a guy who likes to kill people. He's killed his, his teacher. He's killed his guard. He has killed everyone around him. And he's in a killing mood. So bring me Paul. And Paul stood before him into the lion's den. God stood with him and he got out. He knew he was going to be executed, but he, he, he left that meeting. I witnessed it Nero again and I survived. He kept me out of the lion's mouth. Could you imagine standing before Nero, a bloodthirsty Nero, a crazy Nero, and getting out of there alive? That's a very big deal. And he says, God withstood me. Verse number 18, and the Lord shall deliver me from every good work. And notice this, and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to who be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul says, I'm tired of earthly kingdoms. I'm looking forward to the heavenly kingdom. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. God's got something better. Are you prepared to go to the millennial kingdom? Are you living for this world? Or are you living for that world? You can't live for both. Paul says, man, I'm looking forward to getting over there. This old world is nasty and awful and horrible. I'm ready to get out of here. Are you ready to get out of here? Are you ready to face God? Are you ready to give an account? Paul says, I'm ready. I finished my course. I fought the fight. I've kept the faith. I'm ready to get out of here. I'm ready to be offered. I'm looking forward to that heavenly kingdom. I'm tired of these earthly kingdoms. Let me tell you, Nero has no power next to God. Hitler has no power next to God. Stalin has no power next to God. Our country politicians have no power next to God. They may mess up this world. We may have earthly kingdoms that go crazy. But my citizenship's in that next country. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm just a passing through here. I'm a pilgrim on my way to somewhere else. Paul says, I'm ready to go. Which brings us to one last thing. Paul says, my final goodbyes. My final goodbyes. Notice with me in verse number 19. Salute Priscilla and Aquila. Oh, here's Aquila and Priscilla again. Remember this couple? When Paul just first started out, here's Aquila and Priscilla, and they got saved. And they traveled with Paul and helped him out. Preacher, we're going with you. And we'll work a job and help support you. And we'll help in the church and we'll help go. We'll be glad to go. And you see Aquila and Priscilla everywhere. So much that Apollos came and they said, preacher, that's good preaching. But do you know the Lord is your savior? No, tell me more about it. And they led a preacher to the Lord. They helped out in the church of Rome. They were everywhere helping out. God, wherever you want us to go, we're glad to go. And they worked as a husband wife team and they traveled everywhere. Aquila and Priscilla is a great study. And Paul says, hey, guess what? They're still everlastingly at it. I want to let you know they're here in Rome, Timothy. And they said, hi. What a wonderful thing. They're still working. They're still serving. So he says, salute Aquila and Priscilla and the household of Anesiphorus. We already covered Anesiphorus earlier. This man who went and purposely found the apostle Paul when he was in jail and made sure that he had money and he ended up dying taking care of the preacher. He says, you take care of that household, you salute them. And then Erastus, Erastus, isn't that a cool name? My wife wouldn't let me name any of my kids Erastus, but Erastus abode at Corinth. You know Erastus was? Erastus, you see in the Bible, uh, he was the guy who carried the money from one place to the next missionary. He carried the luff offer. He was trusted in that. Remember, they didn't have banks and electronic transfers. If you wanted money in a missions conference gathered up to give to a missionary, you had to have someone you trusted get the money from this place to another. That was Erastus. He was serving God. And now he's at Corinth and he's pretty much their treasurer there, helping Corinth go forward. Praise the Lord. He's still working. He's still serving. Tell, Hey, I'm letting you know, Timothy, where Erasmus at. He's still serving God. He's over at the church of Corinth. Oh, but Troemus... I left at Miletus sick. Paul says, hey, I was traveling on my last thing to Rome. This guy got sick at Miletus, by the way, which is close to Ephesus. And Timothy, I'm just letting you know where he's at. You go check on him on your way here. You take care of him. Make sure that he's all right. Let you know that, Timothy. Take care of him. Verse number 21, once again. Do thy diligence to come before winter. Timothy, please, I'm begging you. Come quickly. When winter hits the uh, the... Um, sailing through the Mediterranean Sea is going to stop. And then the overland passes to go through the mountains to get to where Paul is in Italy. You're not going to be able to cross it. You need to come now before winter. Bring my cloak. Bring me the books. Timothy, I need you to come now. Please come now. Timothy, please do your best. Almost makes you hope that Timothy got there in time. We don't know for sure, but... Wouldn't it be wonderful if he made it there in time to say goodbye to Paul? Made it there. He says, verse 21, do thy diligence to come before winter. Then notice this. Eubius, which is here at Rome, greeteth thee, and Pudens, and Linus, and Claudia, and all the brethren. Notice the word and in between these. This is a very special uh, grammar thing called a polysidon. Isn't that cool? a polycydenton, uh, a polycytotin. And the polycydenton, you'll see this feature in the Bible quite often. It is the word and inside of a list, and it's made to slow down the reader to pay attention to each and every word. Whenever you see a list that's very important, you'll see this polycydenton, this and in between it. And what Paul is doing is putting this and in between it so that way he lets them know that each of these people are special and important and they're telling you and -and so-and-so says hello and so-and-so and And -and so-and-so it's slowing it down it's not grouping them all together but them as individuals are all saying hi and they're all important and they're all here at Rome Paul's not without friends even at Rome several of the church folks wanted to say hello and he had careful thought to them and then finally verse 22 he's writing to Timothy And the Lord Jesus Christ be with thy spirit. Timothy, as my final goodbye, the best thing I could say is that the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, grace be with you. God's grace be with you. Just be with God. Amen. These are the last words of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul who says, I'm ready to be offered. I'm ready to go face God. I'm not worried about the judgment seat because I've done what God's asked me to do. I'm ready to receive the rewards and show my Savior that I loved him. I'm ready to get out of this old stinking rotten filthy world and go to the world that God's prepared for me. I'm looking forward to the heavenly kingdom. Now, we're assuming that most of you are not going to die tonight. We don't know what tomorrow has. But are you ready? Are you right with God? If something was to happen to you, are you 100% sure that you would die today and go to heaven? That's the most important question. I know I'm on a Wednesday night, but you never know. But if you are saved, are you right with God? Are you being obedient to God? Are you ready to face him at the judgment seat and expect him to say, well done, my good and faithful servant? Could you with honesty say, I finished my course? I've done what God has given me to do. When it all comes down to it, which world are you living for? This world here, the here and now, or are you living for the next world? You cannot live for both. You have to choose one.